0: Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Pediatric Meltdown. Today, I am so pleased to bring a guest that will offer some tips and strategies on how to really build that caregiver-infant relationship that we know is so important. Dr. Rena Minky is a clinical psychologist with over 15 years of experience working with pregnant and postpartum women and their children in clinical and research settings. She is currently a behavioral health consultant with the University of Michigan MC3 perinatal expansion team. She has worked intimately with programs supporting women and families to be the best people that they can be. She enjoys sharing these strategies with families and professionals. So sit back and take a listen to how we can find those beautiful moments between parents and their babies. Hey, Rena, how are you?
1: I'm well, thank you.
0: I am so glad you're joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I think this will be a nice uh, topic to discuss after our um, discussion with Dr. Samantha Shaw just about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, kind of from the diagnosis and medical treatment, but something else that we can do that's kind of an interesting project. So we'll just dive right in. Yeah, sounds great. So, you're working in the infant mental health field, and what
1: was how'd you get there? What was your path? Such a great question. And I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to be on here, Dr. Gaggiano, and for being able to to share with your listeners about infant mental health and and about the early relational health screen. I wonder if it might be helpful to share a little bit about what the infant mental health field is to start out. Sure. Okay. So infant mental health is about being able to focus on how well a child develops socially and emotionally from birth to three. So being pediatricians, you know that most brain development occurs prenatally as well as up to the age of three. And this is a crucial time for intervention and for prevention of longer term concerns and outcomes. So infant mental health home visiting was coined and defined by Selma Freiburg at the University of Michigan. And so she called it like kitchen table therapy. So it's therapy where individual clinicians go into the family home, they sit with the parent at the kitchen table, they talk about what's happening, they're able to support parents in that way. So it's designed to attend to new and pregnant mothers' social, emotional, physical needs in an effort to then support the optimal development of the child. So what's unique about the state of Michigan is that this is embedded within the the code, the, the state of Michigan laws, that all individuals that are receiving Medicaid are able to receive infant mental health home visiting. And most of the time, the services are done through community mental health agencies as a home visiting program. And what we've been working on more recently with the University of Michigan is taking these types of programs and embedding them within primary care settings. So embedding them at pediatricians offices, embedding them with, in, inside of OBGYN clinics. And some of the programs that, that are, are supporting this are the MC3 program, which I, I know you've talked with, I think, Joanna Quigley about. And then also the integrated infant mental health
0: program. So I've been doing this a long time, and I did not realize that there was a state law that provided these services. So you know, it's never never too late to teach an old dog new tricks, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's incredible. The other thing I just wanted to, before I forget, Selma Freiberg, she wrote, was it the magic years or the magical years? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll make sure I put a link to the show notes because she was kind of a real uh, pioneer. That's it. She was was a pioneer in this, in this field and actually came from Michigan. So that's really cool. So, you know, as I mentioned before, I, I mean, this podcast is dedicated to emotional and mental health. And primarily, again, we talk about kids, but this also pertains to that, that parent child relationship And I mean, the kids can't develop in a healthy fashion without that as a foundation, at least not in a way that promotes the the richest emotional health. So can you talk a little bit about why pediatric clinicians
1: need to think about this? Absolutely. So in thinking about why it's helpful for pediatricians to know, like we got to first think about like the prevalence of mental health concerns among women. So we know that up to 40% of women postpartum and during pregnancy will have symptoms of depression and that up to probably 7% will have symptoms of PTSD and 4% will have OCD. So if we think about those disorders, which I know you, you, speak to, you spoke a bit with um, Dr. Shaw about, It's astounding to consider that about half of the women who are coming in with their children for uh, well-child visits are going to have some type of depression, have some type of, of mental health concern during this time. So that's two out of five mothers that you're seeing. That's pretty high. And I really think like the question of considering whether or not, why should pediatricians be aware of this? is thinking about like, what are the influences of depression on kids' development? What usually happens? So if we think about depression during pregnancy, women are at risk for poor nutrition, um, low weight gain, higher levels of gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, infections, more substance abuse use and also not attending prenatal appointments. So if we think about the the fetus as well, there's a higher risk for miscarriage, there's higher risk for interuterine growth restrictions. And then that has implications for the baby when they're born, there's lower birth weight, uh, the baby may be more temperamentally difficult, there's a lower likelihood of breastfeeding, difficulty bonding, difficulties parenting, and even decreased attendance at well-child visit and, and decreased adherence to immunization schedules.
0: Who knew that the emotional health of a mom had this incredible ramifications for the infant? I mean, her own health, the baby's health, and then the trajectory of that child's development. I mean, and, and I think the other thing that you mentioned about the home visit program and then also the pediatrician is meeting the moms and the babies where they are. So rather than them saying, oh, now I've got a problem and I need to seek out help, we're just looking for, do you need any help right now? Because we're here to help.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad that you're saying that because, you know, we think about all of these consequences and all of these associated outcomes with mental health and, and, and then thinking about the mom in the context of, in our society, like moms were, were expected to, to work we're expected to take care of our babies to take care of our homes there are so many different demands on parents today and it's and then thinking about the media as well like all of the ideas of what you should and shouldn't do
0: I was just going to say uh, oh the joy of motherhood that is the most fabulous and wonderful thing ever and I'm posting beautiful pictures on Pinterest and Facebook and the reality is it's a lot harder than what you see in those
1: happy smiling photos right absolutely absolutely and so having like Awareness and compassion for the fact that there are all of these demands that are placed on parents today, and yes, these are consequences. But also, thinking about the parent and the child is so important, and being able to understand them in their context. It's like taking like an evidence. We we talk about evidence based practices and and randomized control trials, but that takes out the individual and what is best for that person and what that person is experiencing. So it's helpful to have all of those tools and all of these things to be able to interact and support, but we also really need to pay attention to and think about the people involved in it.
0: So it's really translating that science and the big ideas and making sure that what you're doing is helpful, not harmful, but then into like real life, like what can really work kind of the how to. So you have a program called early relational health that is a strategy.
1: And can you talk about that? Absolutely. So the early relational health screen was developed by David Willis, and he is a pediatrician, a board certified pediatrician who wanted to take relationships and turn it into a vital sign. He was like, you know what we do? We do all of these different tests when babies and moms come in and we want to see what is the relationship like and, and have a quick way to be able to look at the relationship. So he created a screener that has some early indicators of relationship. And so one of the examples of of one of the behaviors or indicators is mutual engagement. And in mutual engagement, what we're looking for is whether or not like a parent and child are, are paying attention to the fact that each other are there. So like, are they turning to each other? Are they smiling? Are they acknowledging the other person? And usually in this, you get a good sense that the mom and the baby know each other. And I do want to say that it's not just moms and babies that this can be done with. It can be done with dads. It can be done with caregivers. Again, thinking about like no man is an Island parents need other people and need to be supported and to have social support. So Being able to to take whoever the primary caregiver is, the person that's that's serving and supporting the child is really helpful to look at some of the behaviors and see their relationship and see how they're interacting.
0: I was just going to say, I was thinking about a mom that brought her baby in for a nine month check. So this isn't always just, you know, those one month olds Mm -hmm. and the baby was on the table and she was standing maybe a foot away. And didn't look at the baby at all. And she was pretty flat. The baby was just kind of playing on its own. And it was one of those things that just sort of struck me. And I just said, Are you okay? And then I had her do the Edinburgh, and she was not okay. So I I think, is that kind of what you're talking about?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So what you're what you're describing right there is his mom's engagement with the baby. She really wasn't engaged with the baby. So the early relational health screen helps to pick up on some of those ba- behaviors of, like, she's not looking at the baby. Her face is flat. I'm guessing the baby wasn't looking at her either. The early relational health screen helps to see, like, what are those interactions? What are the behaviors between the two of them that are happening? And you were, you were astute in picking up that mom's having a hard time here. And you provided her with a screen that helps you to learn that, hey, You might need some additional help and additional support.
0: So is this screener like a pencil and paper type of screen, like a, a check the box kind of thing? Or what's it look like? And is it something I can realistically incorporate
1: into practice? Great question. So it's best implemented if you have a behavioral health consultant within the clinic or an individual that can sit with the family and to do it. So what happens for the screen is we invite people to come and make a movie with their baby. We ask parents to sit with their baby and just play as they normally would with the baby for five minutes. What we then do is take the video and we watch it with the parent. And so as a clinician, what I would do is I would be watching as they're interacting for three different types of moments. I would look for what's called a beautiful moment. So a moment when it's clear that the parent and the child are connecting. Maybe it's mom and baby smiling at each other. They're making eye contact. Like they're giggling. They're having fun. I would also look for a challenging moment. So maybe it feels like, ooh, like, maybe the mom went too fast, or maybe the baby got upset over something. Maybe mom like moved a toy too quickly away. So something that shows maybe there was out of sync behavior. Then I would also look for a positive parenting moment. So a moment that emphasizes or shows that the parent is doing something to scaffold or support the infant in learning. I would mark those times to watch specifically with the parent. And then I would show it to the parent and I would ask them, what do you see here? And then I would just stop and listen. I would want to hear like, what are they seeing? What are they thinking about as they watch this? And that simple, that simple question of what do you see here can be incredibly informative. What we're looking for is what is the parent seeing? Like objectively, what is the parent behavior that the parent is seeing? We're also looking for how does the parent describe it? And we want to know, like, how is the infant then referencing the parent and looking back at the parent? And we want to see what is the relationship, like what is in the space between them? How how do you phrase that whole
0: piece of, I can see the beautiful moment because that's a fun thing to say. And I think we all know what those look like. And I think without doing something formal, we can always catch that in the office. Like, oh my gosh, look at how she looked at you that kind of thing. And, oh, when you smiled at her, don't you love how she smiles back? That kind of thing. How do you phrase the challenging one? Because that to me would be like, you know, you don't want to tell somebody they're screwing up. So how do you do that? Right.
1: right. I I think that when I see those moments, I usually would say, oh man, that looked like it might've been tough for you guys. And then just say, what do you think was going on right there? And just wait, stop, listen. Sometimes parents are like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for acknowledging that. I've been trying to figure out what to do here. Sometimes parents might say, nothing happened. I don't know what you're talking about. And so it's, it's a matter of, I think one of the great things about p- pediatricians is you guys are seeing kids so frequently in those early years. And that allows you to build a relationship with the parents to kind of broach some of these more difficult conversations and broach some of the more difficult observations you're making with parents.
0: I was thinking of a a complicated situation like a mom who says, and this is a little tyke, it might be a toddler, but even younger, who says, oh, look, she is being so bad or she's so mean. And it's just like her dad who... You know, is was not in the picture because he was an awful person.
1: What yeah. do you do with that? So I think that most of the time when I have a parent who is picking up or articulating some, some things, cause let's be honest, that probably creates feelings in you too. <laughs> like when they're, when they're saying these things about these little kids who their brains aren't fully developed, they're trying to figure out the world, but then here's their parents saying these things about them that might not be so great. I typically go to breathing, taking a deep breath, calming myself, acknowledging that, oh, it's not easy to hear this parent talking about this child in such a negative way. And then Go for empathy like what exactly is going on with mom that 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 she's saying this about the child she's struggling too it's a sign that shows you that oh she's got things going on too and she needs help as well to be able to see and think about the baby in a different way and with the child in a different way. I guess I, I could think of
0: something to the effect of wow that must have been a really difficult thing you had with dad and sometimes it might even look like the baby's acting the same but it's just a baby. And I'm wondering if that's two different things.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep, exactly. So what you're doing, what you're doing there is you're articulating her experience as an individual different from the baby's experience because the baby is not the dad. It's not the same person. Right. Right. So is the pediatrician
0: watching these videos? I mean, I'm thinking to myself, that could take a lot of time. And I'm wondering, would you have the family come back if you don't have, I mean, if you have a social worker or other mental health professional in your practice, I mean, this sounds like it would be amazing, but what if I don't, because I know many of my listeners don't have that luxury. So is this something that I can do with them?
1: Absolutely. So You could definitely do this with them. You could either set it up that you have like a time before a well child visit or before their appointment that you would do this with them, or you can schedule another time. If you're seeing some indicators that suggest that they might, it might be appropriate for them, have them come back and do it with them at a different time. So is there a formal thing?
0: I mean, I'm just wondering, like, if I decided it was something I wanted to do today and I Mm -hmm. have a mom and a baby that come in and I'm like hey, I I have this strategy that might really be helpful because sometimes it looks like things might be kind of tough. You've got a, a baby that's not sleeping or seems like they cry a lot. If you'd be willing, maybe you could take a couple of videos on your phone and bring it in and we can look at it together and see if there might be some things that would help. Is that kind of the gist of it or is there something that's more formal than that?
1: Yeah, so there's, there is a more formal structured process. So we would, of course, want to make sure that you and others are trained on the process in terms of learning about the scoring system, um, learning about implementing it. And I think that for pediatricians in their office, learning the scoring system and learning about the different behavioral indicators, so like mutual engagement, mutual enjoyment, learning about what those are, what they look like would be most helpful to, to move forward and put it in place. I do think that like, I think like being professionals, you know about different behaviors and you see different behaviors in the office that people are engaging in that make you wonder too. And so I do think that there's an element of being able to like pick up on some of those behaviors to say yes or no, there's a concern here, but to implement the early relational health screen itself what we're able to do is provide implementation support. So like talking about what might the barriers be, how can we make this most effective for you? Also training on the scoring system and also on some of the like the scoring system to know like whether or not there's an at-risk family or not at-risk family. And then helping to guide through connecting to resources.
0: So if I'm a pediatrician out in a rural area in Wisconsin, How would I do this? I mean, is there a site to go to for
1: this training? How would I seek that out? Great question. So what I'm going to do is to provide you with a number of different websites that have some like some recorded videos about early relational health screening. So those will be in the resources that I provide to you. But we also within Zero to Thrive and the Department of Psychiatry at U of M, we're able to provide implementation support along with the Thrive with Your Baby clinic. So helping individuals to set up the clinic at their site and be able to use it at their site. So I'll provide mine and Dr. Rosenbloom, Kate Rosenbloom's contact information. So if people want to, to learn more about implementation, we're happy to support implementation of that. So what if I'm in a state outside of Michigan? So it's, it's about implementation. So we would just be coaching you on implementing it, putting it into place. And I do, it would cost, we wouldn't have to charge to do it, but we would be able to support implementation of putting it into the clinic
0: that was going to be my next question. So, so there could be a phone number or an email or a website that I can put into the show notes so people can find you.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay.
0: Oh, that's great. So this is a nice resource. And what if you're in the state of Michigan?
1: Yeah. So it depends on the, there are different programs within the state of Michigan that have this affiliated with it. So one of the current programs that we're implementing is the MC3 perinatal And that has been funded by the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. And what we're able to do is within Wayne and Oakland counties, we are able to have telehealth, behavioral health consultants available to OBGYNs. And we're able to provide the early relational health screen through those services. So if people are interested in signing up for that program and they're within Oakland, Wayne counties, we're happy to sign them up and contact me again. And I can help to connect you to the proper media or not media outlets, but the proper outlets to get connected to it.
0: Oh, those lucky people in, in Wayne and Oakland counties. So, but I love that you can be anywhere in the country and get access to this. Are the training videos
1: available to anybody? Yeah, so the, let me find the name of it. There is a organization in Texas called First Three Years. They actually recently did a early relational health webinar series. And there are, I think there are three recordings that people can watch to learn a little bit more about using the early relational health screen. I love that this sounds
0: like Something you can partner with a parent to really improve their confidence and to see that interaction because I I love the way you describe it the beautiful moment because it is, and sometimes we get to have those beautiful moments when the baby I mean, there's nothing that is more rewarding than looking at a baby and the baby looking at you and then that smile, yes, Yeah, yeah, that. And I remember with my first one, and I've shared this before, I had terrible postpartum anxiety. And, you know, as I said before, I didn't know what it was. I just thought I was a bad mom. But I remember the relief that I had when she finally smiled because, you know, babies don't relationally smile at two weeks of age. No. Um, they cry and pee and poop and sleep. And so that's really hard. But I remember when she smiled at, I can't remember, it was probably around six weeks or something like that. And it was like, yay, she likes me. She loves me and I love her. And, you know, it was just this lovely thing.
1: Yeah. And I really appreciate that example because it's so common for parents to be experiencing that and to be going through it. And Thinking about like having the layer of depression, anxiety, which colors your world and changes how people look at the world, that makes it hard to be able to pick up on those positive moments, on those positive things. And I was
0: just that, terrified as the best. Yeah. I mean, I just was so worried that I was gonna do something wrong or that I'd miss something. And, you know, and then I just cried a lot, which I'm sure yeah. was not a great moment for her. And she was colicky. And it's curious, I wonder sometimes, was she colicky because I was so anxious, or was she just a colicky baby and then that just made my anxiety worse?
1: Yeah, and then it very likely was an interaction between the two. It could have been both, and it's so hard to know and and so difficult. And I think what's wonderful is, is we now know that there are so many different resources for moms and babies. And and being pediatricians, you guys are that front line to be able to connect parents to services and to resources. So we know that it's available. We know that they can be treated, they can be supported. And at the end of the day, it's going to help for centuries in terms of like thinking about the longer term consequences of getting a mom and her baby services. You treat the mom, she's then more available for the baby to support the baby.
0: And these are really, I think, what pediatricians do best, and that's preventive care. I mean, first of all, I think we're really good at recognizing developmental milestones and what is following within sort of the typical and what's falling out. I I think that's what we're really, really good at. And then being able to provide some support and resource because if we take care of those babies on the front end, we may avoid some of those difficult behaviors on the, you know, down the road. And I think it helps, you know, trying to catch those adverse childhood experiences early if we can. And we know that those can be so toxic for babies. Absolutely. And it empowers the mom yeah. and, or the dad or whoever the caregiver is to be the best that they can be.
1: Absolutely. Yep. And help having the parent... Because there are so many situations where parents don't feel empowered and they don't feel like they're driving, driving the car. And so giving them the opportunity to be seen, validated, you know, there's so many ways that validation and recognition can empower parents and then empower their children too.
0: Well, and then the confidence that I really can do something myself that's so great for my baby. And then I feel so good about me and then. If I'm, you know, what they say, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy,
1: that yeah. kind of thing. And
0: if mama's happy, maybe that's good for everybody too.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I really appreciate the work that you do. And I think this is really exciting that we have something to offer either instead of medication or in addition to medication. It depends on what's going on with the mom, but, but another strategy and a tool that she can do that... It, it almost sounds like it sort of empowers her or the, the caregiver, if it's dad or both, it empowers them to be the best parents they can be.
1: Yeah, and that at the end of the day, when parents are feeling confident and able to care for their children, then they're going to, they're going, they have more ability to choose what they're doing. They can stop, reflect, engage, and, and move forward in a way that's healthy for them and their baby.
0: I did a nice podcast with Dr. Robert Saul and he talked a lot about you know raising kids but also parent interaction. He talks about kind of operating below the line and above the line. Below the line is less than desirable. You know, it's when you have the meltdown and above the line is when, you know, I got this. I've got strategies. And I mean there's going to be tough times. I mean even if you do it you know really really well i mean it doesn't mean that your kids not going to melt down in the grocery store and throw a tantrum or be a difficult teenager but if you've had some strategies on the front end it really may be
1: build some some tools almost yeah and what you're highlighting there is talking about parent emotion regulation in the face of distress and difficulty and so when a parent's able to regulate their feelings and their emotions in difficult situations that then helps them to be able to stop and reflect and think about like what's happening here, but then be able to choose how they're going to respond to their child. And, and, and so I like I commented about taking a deep breath myself when I hear parents talking about kids and maybe saying things that are hard to hear. It's kind of a similar parallel process with a, with a parent in that, you know what, this is a hard moment. I need to calm myself first so that I can be helpful to my child.
0: I think there are some models as well for physician, healthcare provider interaction with patients. It's sort of the same thing where you would actually see how you talk to a patient and you're able to say, wow, that was so great. And that communication was great. And, you know, when you said blah, 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 I know the Cleveland Clinic does a lot of um, communication programs for physicians. So for listeners that are out there, you may want to check with your um, institution because sometimes they offer these programs. So I think it's just a kind of a springboard for our own, our own improvement and and a way to do that. So that you made me think of that.
1: That's amazing. I didn't, and it's amazing to have that resource to be able to stop and think. And yeah, they have a, it's called the Cleveland
0: Clinic Ready Program, R-E-D-E. And they do one that's um, delivering bad news and how to do it in a way, because I think For a lot of us, we want to dance around it. You know, if you have a tumor on your CT scan, I might say, well, there was something, it was kind of difficult. And they said, it's really bad to just cut to the chase, or it's really most helpful to cut to the chase and then pause. So if you said there was something on your CT scan, it looked like a mass. And so we're going to need to look into that and then just stop. And that is like super hard to do because we know there's going to be distress. So I know that's an offshoot and kind of going down a rabbit hole, but I think it's the same kind of how to have those meaningful interactions with other people, whether it's us with a patient or a parent with their baby.
1: But I also think that like, that's such an open, honest way of interacting and it's allowing the person to choose how they're responding to it. And, and you are just giving them the space to be within that moment in that interaction. And like, that's a healthy communication that's respecting them as an individual. There's trust then in the relationship that you and they can work through it, which is a great parallel for thinking about parenting and respecting kids as they grow And respecting the relationship of a parent and child. So I I think sometimes we can see all of these different parallels between different programs and interactions that just might seem serendipitous, but at the core of it, it's about relationship and being in relationship with someone.
0: Well, and I think in terms of practicing medicine, I mean, it's all about the relationship. I mean, I can be oh so smart, but unless I have a way to be with the patient so they can hear what I have to offer, what you know, what are the limitations, those decision making that is so difficult. And I can imagine doing this with a parent and how fun that would be to be able to say, oh my gosh, look at what you just said. That was so amazing. And that would help build the relationship I would have with the parent because they would feel mm-hmm empowered and positive about wow the doctor i mean and you know if this comes from the doctor that's really powerful like wow dr gajino said i did an amazing job and i've had parents way down the road when their kids were older say you know when you said that to me when you know my baby was little boy that really stuck with me but i'd also don't want it to be the difficult thing that i said that stuck with them i would want it to be you know that confidence building or those those beautiful moments
1: absolutely yeah and that's the, that's you recognizing them and seeing them and those difficult moments though it's important to talk about them because in some ways like you can you're then validating the parent and the child's experience too
0: it all kind of boils down to empathy and seeing each other and you've really described a lovely program and I hope listeners will check out the show notes so they can see where they might find out more about this and, and a way to start might be doing those webinars. So, well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Was there anything else you wanted to share before we close?
1: No, other than thank you so much for this opportunity, I really appreciate it. And and I look forward to to hearing from people if they're interested in learning more about it. Well,
0: I, again, appreciate your time and all the work you're doing. It's really lovely. And, you know, again, it'll, it's really something that listeners can elevate our own skills. So that's all, That's a beautiful thing, too.
1: Absolutely.
0: Take care and have a great day. And thanks again. Thank you. One of the real joys that I have in doing this podcast is meeting professionals who offer the world such valuable information That really helps support clinicians. I like the idea of finding beautiful moments, and it's just so powerful. So, here are my takeaways. Number one infant mental health was pioneered by Selma Freiberg, who authored The Magic Years. It's all about social emotional development of infants and young children at a crucial time that has an impact on their future well being. I mean, this is really an upstream intervention. Number two, Perinatal mood and anxiety disorder prevalence is about 40%, and that equates to two in five moms who will suffer, and that there are many associated consequences in the perinatal period, for example, low birth weight, and in the postpartum, for example, attachment and bonding issues. Number three, early relational health is an intervention developed by pediatrician David Willis, described as a vital sign to assess the complex interpersonal interactions between young children, birth to age three, and their parents' extended family and caregivers. Number four, a primary care physician or provider may identify an infant parent dyad that may need some support, and we all know that when we see it, and engages the caregiver asking for video moments with the baby. The trained clinician, and that would be us, watches the video with the caregiver as a teaching tool. The essence of early relational health is threefold, finding the beautiful moments, those moments when you see the baby look at the mom or the dad or the grandma and smiles. It's just, you know, we all know that beautiful, beautiful moment. Identifying out of sync moments, and we know those moments too, and catching positive parent moments, and that is so powerful. These are the keys to promoting mutual engagement with the baby. I think back on one interaction that I had, there was a dad of a newborn and we were in the newborn nursery and he held the baby, but at arm's length, as though he was afraid he was going to drop the baby. And I showed him, I said, here, hold the baby close. And then he started doing the mama rock. We all know that sway side to side. And I said, just hold the baby tight. And it was a beautiful moment. He really got it. And it was fun to be able to encourage him. Number six. For the primary care behavioral health consultant, we may need to take a breath and pause as we help guide through interactions that we are concerned about. This is when the mom may say something like, my baby is bad, just like his dad, or she's so mean. And lead with empathy. Use this as a teaching moment. This is a hard one for me because it makes the baby look like they're doing this on purpose and the mom or the other caregiver is kind of reading into what that means, and I think reframing that for a parent is really powerful. Number seven, for interested clinicians, there's a formal online training, and I'll put that in the show notes, that teaches the how-tos. While we may be struggling with how to find time for this, this is an upstream prevention intervention at a critical developmental moment. There is so much room for impact here. And if you have a behavioral health consultant, and again, another huge plug for that, um, you can have them work with the family and make this a fun interaction. If you're seeing them for a well-child visit, you might need to bring them back. Number eight, you can contact Rena at Zero to Thrive through the University of Michigan for more information or support. Again, you can find that in the show notes. Number nine, again, another program plug, for the child psychiatry access programs across the country. Many of these have perinatal programs, and like you listened on the previous podcast to Dr. Samantha Shaw, psychiatrists that are really experts in this perinatal postpartum period of time and can offer some insights that I think are unique. Number 10, for information on how to develop integrated behavioral health in your practice, please reach out to me in the show note links. And um, you can also go to my website, which is www.medicalbhs.com, and I can help you with building those programs. Take care, and I so appreciate everything you do. I know that you find those beautiful moments every day with the interactions we have with children and parents, and I hope that you find more of those both at work and at home. Take care, my friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. This podcast was made possible by the team at Streamlined Podcasts. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero.